Welcome to the increasingly inaccurately titled Weekly Squeak with your hosts, Chris Ward, or a.k.a. Chris Chinchilla, and... Kate Lawrence. Good afternoon, listeners. Good afternoon, good morning, good day, good evening, good yesterday, good today, good tomorrow, wherever you may be. So today, in this episode, we are going to talk about our robot overlords. This, uh, well, Kate, you love robots, don't you? I do. You do love robots. You I'm write a lot about robots. I'm a big robots. fan of the robots. Well, or are you? This is kind of what we're going to discuss. We were watching uh, last weekend iRobot with Will Smith, a fantastically ridiculous romp through the not-too-distant future of uh, robots. And uh, the thought sparked in both our heads is that a lot of science fiction, not all, as we'll discuss in a minute, but a lot of science fiction always considers robots as something that is going to kind of kill us and destroy us and try to dominate us, um, from iRobot to Battlestar Galactica to Terminator, of course. And we were thinking, whilst there is actually maybe a lot to fear with robots, what's the real reality of our robot overlords? Are they all going to kill us or are they actually going to slowly destroy us in other ways, maybe? And this is kind of what we wanted to discuss. So, where shall we begin? We're getting, going to go a little bit pie-in-the-sky thinking here with a few groundings of um, fact and truth and some reports as much as possible, but also a little bit of conjecture and fantastical fedangering. I made up a word there. Fedangering. Oh, yeah. I like that word. Thank you. Um, so, where do you want to begin, Kate? I can see you have currently have a picture of lots of people dressed in white with some freakish-looking teddy bear robot. So <laughs> maybe we want to start there. Oh, yeah, that's the robot. Um, One of the things I actually like about robots is their role in healthcare. Robots have quite a few different roles to play. And it's worth starting with one one misconception or one lack of representation of robots. I think when we talk about robots, we need to talk about robotics because there's a lot of functions that robots and robotic devices do that aren't the standalone, walking, <laughs> slightly menacing robot that's usually got some kind of face and legs and arms. The uncanny valley, basically, you mean. Yeah. The futuristic sense, the the um, Cylon, the R2-D2. The, the, no, hang on. The, the C-3P, I can never remember which one's which. C3. The one that stands up. Oh, <laughs> uh, the gold one? The gold one. Um, or data, data in Star Trek, the... Humanist, humanistic-looking robot. Oh, for me, perhaps it's more something like Neo or Purple or Atlas or Sophie. People who know robots will know all of these. But I think the reality is that robots and robotics is used in as a functional tool by humans in many capacities. For example, if we look at surgery, where robotic arms are being used to do a range of functions within a surgical space, we look at engineering, where in, in manufacturing, in um, making automobiles, you know, doing fairly intricate work in factories, in agriculture, all these places, robots have a, a part to play. And Chris mentioned healthcare, and I think some of the most interesting applications, besides those in the surgical field, are, are robotics in healthcare. For example, one, one place they use quite widely now is actually um, 
in doing work that previously has been hazardous to humans. Some examples is cleaning, where a area needs to be completely um, detoxified, disinfected, um, you know, where, where there's been some kind of fairly serious um, health condition that's hazardous, you know, that's contagious or what have you. Um, there are robots in some countries that will come in and clean a room and be able to disinfect it using a, you know, a higher degree of heat and so forth than what a human with a mop and a broom could do, so so to speak. Um, then you have robots in a care role, for example, lifting. One of the biggest hazards to people in nursing and, health and doctors is actually lifting patients, um, whether it's to wash patients, to move patients, to feed patients, to change patients. And um, you know, there's every time you look at a, any type of um, report into the um, health hazards of being a, for example, a nurse. The causes of injury to the back is one of the most serious areas. And even um, I know this from talking to nursing students when I worked in universities. The number that would have in injuries whilst on a ward was quite significant. So now you have robots that are actually being able to move people around um, and do that lifting role that we previously had um, people do. And obviously, you know, that's that's a really important kind of role. But then you, they've got some more slightly innovative roles and there can be some crossover here with AR and VR as well where, you know, goggles, the, the goggles may be involved and that's more a growing area too. But if we look at something like the Medi-Robot in um, in Canada where it's used, it's a it's a Neo-Robot, one of the little Alder Barons, little blue and white or red and white robots. They're very cute. I like those ones. And they use it as a form of pain management support for children with very painful pain procedures um, or even things like you know, going in for a flu shot. And what happens is the robot undertakes a series of training. Um, it's programmed to manage it, you know, to effectively run a program that they take the child through. Um, and this is all done under very, very strong medical use. In Japan, we've got um, robots that do things like move people from beds to wheelchairs and things like that. Very effective again. And um, some of the other roles, though, I think it's worth having a think about are the increasing area we've, we've see of using robots in a range of um, customer service roles. For example, we've got things like um, Pepper. And, and Naos to some extent, who Pepper particularly is used a lot in retail. Um, in Spain and France, the robot is used to provide directions and instructions to people at train stations. Um, if you haven't seen Pepper, it's a robot that's got a little, um, kind of like an iPad on its chest. It can talk and communicate as well, so it's very good for that sort of thing. Um, it can also do shopping, um, help people with shopping and finding flaws in a department store and all that sort of stuff. And then if, um, a couple of last last two examples I'll give you would be in, in Japan, surprise, surprise, yes, Japan, where you have robots that and China that uh, one of my favourite stories is actually the use of in Gangzhou of robots for waitstaff, um, where there's a range of restaurants that will utilise a robot to carry food, to clean, to take orders, as opposed to a human. And the, re the reasoning here is that it's cheaper than people. However, they have found that a lot of the time when they've tried this kind of stuff, the robots are, an, are a bit of a novelty, 
and the um, the owners kind of will fire them <laughs> because they don't, you know, they, they, they spill the soup. They can't mop the floor, all those sorts of things. Um, the other example I'd give you that's that's related perhaps is the use of um, robots in... Um, and this is something we're seeing a lot more, delivery. So from your little box-type robots to sort of, you know, more things that look a bit more like a bin on wheels that will go around and deliver things, whether it's in a, a, a workplace or a, a college campus uh, or even going down the street, I've seen them, and they've started trialling these in parts of Germany. So you, you see a little box on wheels that trundles down the um, footpath. Not, not the easiest thing for um, cobblestones, I might add. OK, let's, let's go back a step or two. Uh, just doing a little quick little bit of research whilst you were talking, because mm. I would like to uh, go back a step and saying what is and what isn't a robot. You've talked about some quite realistic and, well, current, so very realistic applications of a robot. What is a robot and what isn't a robot? So it's actually quite interesting. I just found the definition of the word. Mm. <laughs> it's actually from Czech, written about, uh, and I'm not very good on uh, Slavic pronunciation, but K... Chapek's play, R-U-R, Rossum's Universal Robots from 1920. And get this, it actually found, has its roots in robota, which in Czech means forced labour, <laughs> which is oh. very uh, strange. And we'll come back to some of that very in a minute. Um, so the dictionary definition of a robot is a machine capable of carrying out a complex series of actions automatically, especially one programmable by a computer. Now, this I find interesting because what is, what, what is a machine? Mm. I mean, is a computer a machine? And in which case can a computer program a computer? Um, this also is ignoring the uh, input of a human in this process, of course. A human programs a computer that programs a machine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think the definition is still a little, um, is a little vague. And we now Ooh. have things like chatbots which are not machines. They're very simple artificial intelligences and have half their name derived from robot, of course. Mm. Why are they not a robot? Why does a robot have to be physical? Is it just science fiction that has made us think robots should be physical? And I'm pretty sure there are some science fiction... Uh, science fictions? <laughs> there is some science fiction where uh, robots become this kind of metaphysical intelligence. So... Yeah. In fact, in iRobot, spoiler alert, the end villain, as it were, actually is an artificial intelligence that has no physical form, really. So it has like a power source, but it, it, its manifestation is just a floating face. Mm. Uh, is that a robot? I don't know. And then we come to the... And Kate, I think you have something to follow this up with nicely. Mm. Um, we come to possibly one of the uh, more common... Uh, understandings of a robot, and this is also what iRobot was based on, the three laws of Asimov, Isaac Asimov. Uh, and he coined these in 1942 in a story called Runaround. And actually, uh, this is um, where the story for iRobot was in. And again, these have this very retro sort of 40s, 50s look. Um, they're human-esque, but they're very metallic. They're very physical. They're very almost, you can almost imagine them being steam-powered, mm. you know. Um, and these three rules are, B, 
as quoted from the Handbook of Robotics, 56th edition from 2058 AD, which obviously means the first edition should be coming up pretty soon, and maybe that's what you're about to talk about. So these are, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings, except when such orders would conflict with the first law. A robot must protect its own existence existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. So these laws are very much around harm to humans and protecting humans, basically. But it is interesting because despite the fact these have come from science fiction, they actually are sort of taken quite seriously, I think, by the industry. And I think, Kate, you have kind of a much more realistic and current follow-up to this. I do, actually. Um, Recently in Britain, the British Standards Institute have produced the BS8611 Robots and Robotic Devices. Now, that's actually guidelines written by a committee of scientists, academics, ethicists, philosophers, users and people that are involved in robots. Um, It's basically an approach to embedding ethical risk assessments into robots. So what they're looking at is effectively um, an opportunity to help designers and managers of robots identify and avoid areas of potential ethical harm. And they've actually... Uh, I guess coined a lot of their their, gui- their guidelines from the actual three laws of robotics. So you know it's something that's what seventy years old, something like that, seventy five years old is still playing a part. And you, if I read sort of the the general assertion, you'll hear it sounds quite similar, which is robots should not be designed solely or primarily to kill or harm humans. And it says robots should not be designed solely or primarily to kill or harm. Humans, and also that humans, not robots, are the responsible agents. Should be possible to find out who is responsible for any robot and its behaviour. So it actually takes this step further. Firstly, it's acknowledging that robots aren't sentient beings; that there is a person behind the robots that's created the robot, and that they have some responsibility to what, how they program the robot and what they make it do. And I think some reasons that they they mention for this is looking at the ethical hazards that arise with the integration of robots and autonomous systems in everyday life, particularly where robots are in a care or companionship role, for example, with children or the elderly. And I've given the example previously of children with the um, the little Neo robots doing, um, you know, helping out in the hospital or helping with the lifting. But there's actually some other examples like... Um, if you, you remember the um, the good old iRobot Roombas, the little vacuum cleaners that are now everywhere in different permutations, um, there was a time when people would actually make clothing for them and dress them because they had a bit of a cult following. There's also a range of... Why did they stop making clothes for them? I don't know. It's, I think people just did it for fun and it just kind of... I'm not sure. I haven't seen it on the internet for a while, put it that way. Okay. Then you've got things like um, the the Paro robot, which was, um, I think it was Danish invention. They were little seals that were, and basically it was so that people in aged care could pat them. Um, people with dementia are often given dolls and things like that to have as a soothing kind of agent, and that's one of the reasons. And I think one of the most recent examples we can look at if we want to talk about the relationship of humans and robots is the situation with Sony and the ABO robotic dogs. 
you may recall those from the the late 90s. They were basically a a little robot dog that was only in production for about seven years. But it's only been quite recently that they've discontinued the um, uh, servicing of those dogs because you can no longer buy them. And in Japan, Japan in particular, people have really kind of responded to that as a state of grief. Like, people are saying it's like watching a pet slowly die. And there's even a couple of people from Sony that have gone rogue and now create their own their own um, offshoot manufacturing kind of little workstation where uh, they can fix them. I could also see in this article Buddhist funeral for them. Yeah, there's also that. They also have um, a lot of the Japanese approach to robots. I've, I've watched a, a film on it, a doco, sorry, recently, where when the robot is is um, is leaving the factory, they consider that it has a transfer of life, so therefore they have um, a Buddhist uh, event to kind of welcome the robot into its new life and then when it is dying, shall we say, <laughs> whatever the term you want to use, um, that you can actually have a, a Buddhist funeral. That's right. Um, so what I, I guess what we're trying to say or what I'm trying to say in this context is that that human... Um, robot relationship it's easy to kind of smirk a bit and have a giggle but it does have a meaningful reality for some people and I think you only need to look at some of the television and films recently we've got uh, films like Her and the Ex Machina then there's the TV show Humans but I wouldn't say that Her well the machine in Her isn't a robot it's not a machine it's an artificial intelligence in an earpiece. It's not a physical thing. Why is that a robot? It's not a robot. I mean, this is where we get back to our discussion of what is a robot, but do you not think? Um, Yeah, I mean, technically, absolutely. I'm sure you're completely right. I guess I just think of it as a robot, perhaps, but it's... Yeah, you're right. But the lines are blurring, I suppose. Um, Say, for example, Siri or whatever, Samantha, I think, in her. Mm. They are artificial intelligences that are actually shared by multiple people, multiple Mm. manifestations of the same artificial intelligence. If one of those was to be realised through a hack project in a physical robot, then what? I don't know. Anyway, um, I want to touch on something you mentioned a little bit there about the kind of human interactions with machines. And let's start moving into some of the potential negatives and the potential futures of, of this. So let's start at one extreme, which is, so we've already discussed the ethics of robots, but we all know, unfortunately, or we find out because it's not always very official, that this is actually a a lie. (laughs) There are lots of very active robots right now, including um, track-based robots. I don't know if there's any uh, humanoid type ones, who knows? Um, Flying robots, i.e. drones, which... Actually, again, is a vague one because some drones are actually piloted by humans, so does that make them a robot? Who knows? Um, They're used in war zones. So there are, in inverted commas, robots killing people right now. Um, Thankfully, at the moment, they are mostly controlled by humans. But A, does that make them a robot? B, so what about ethics? (laughs) So what, what, what have you found out about that? Yeah, look, it's a good point. I mean, you've got a recent example, or relatively recent, in Dallas, uh, where there was a young man who was going on a a bit of a gun rampage 
um, Mikar Johnson, I think that was his name from memory, uh, and he killed five police officers and wounded a number of people. And in response, the police, I assume it's the police as opposed to the um, military, actually um, used a robot to detonate a bomb to um, lead to his demise. And it's... See, I I just want to clarify here, because so I can see this picture here, and it looks like one of the bomb disposal robots, except it has what looks like a fairly scary Terminator-style gun on top of it. Yeah. Um, Was this, I'd like to clarify this, was this a remote machine controlled by a human, or was it literally like, robot go kill? What, how actually was it issued its orders? Because that's an important distinction. I don't know, to be honest. Something we should actually double-check, because that's a very big difference. Yeah, look, it's the first known case of um, the US, anywhere, anyone in the US you, in the police departments using a um, remotely placed explosive through the robot to kill someone. So it's the first time that's ever happened in the world. Mm. Um, well, in sorry, in America. But I think it's what what interests me about this is that it's using a robot to kill. If we're going to call it a robot, as opposed to a a, mach- a device or a machine or whatever we want to come up with, um, which contravenes the um, original three Asimov's three laws that we mentioned earlier which is, you know, robots should not kill. When we know that, like, drones, which are, you know, unmanned aerial vehicles, what have you, um, do kill people. But again, drones are controlled by people. Well, so are robots. But that's not a robot, then. In my mind, and if we go back to this um, definition, a robot is a machine capable of carrying out a complex series of actions automatically. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying... These are controlled by humans. These are basically remote... Weapons. They're not robots. So you're saying a drone is a remote weapon? Yeah. It's yeah. not... Well, I, 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 but as far as I know, these are still controlled by humans. This is the difference. Yeah. We're not talking Terminator, Cylon-style robots that no. are just like, kill, off no. you go. Oh, no, of course not. But, you know, there's, there's an element of independent thought in that the... the is robot, there? The robot device or the mobile device, whatever you want to call it, has got to be able to detect a person. It's just a camera. To be able, yeah, I that's know. Not but detecting. that's what robots do. That's just a camera. Yeah, and it's that's got a to... human seeing through the camera. But someone has to program the robot to be able to no, kill. No, 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 no. We're, we're getting we're getting a little mixed here. So, as far as I can tell, what you're covering here are basically remote viewing machines in one form or another, that a human is looking through a camera, making a judgment, and triggering a weapon based on that judgment. Maybe with some assistance, like precision assistance, camera sensing, image processing, mm. et cetera, et cetera. But the decision to kill is still made by a human. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So I wouldn't call these robots. The next logical step is... Is this? But at the moment, I would still not call these robots. They're not. They're pretty scary. And this is this is the whole kind of strange thing. And saying like wars of the future will not be fought by soldiers on the ground. Hmm. Although actually, this is not strictly true either, because humans at the moment still have this ability to react quicker and assess situations that that robots can't. And this is something else we will discuss. 
But I'm not sure if I would call these robots, and that's actually a good thing. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's true. It's, it's a good thing. That is, a, that is a good point, yes. Yeah, these are not the self-sentient, just, I hate humans, kill, kill, kill. No, 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 that's very true. And I don't... I, Thankfully. I am not aware of anyone using robots for quite that purpose. Not yet. I mean, I'm sure there's research. Maybe in North Korea somewhere. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't think North Korea is actually that advanced. No, so. they're not. But um, no. Okay, so let's, let's look at the other end of this kind of impact on humans. Mm. So you talked, you talked a lot about Japan. Yeah. Uh, a lot of this stuff seems to happen in Japan. And there have been numerous reports recently that Japan's having a bit of a problem right now in that, uh, for various reasons, cultural, work, etc., the young to middle-aged of Japan are not only not really having relationships anymore, they're not even having sex anymore. Um, there's going to be a population shortage, there's going to be um, a whole bunch of issues because of this. They don't really have uh, inward migration Etc. Uh, Etc. Et it's mm. a country that has a lot of uh, interesting cultural tropes that um, make it this way, and one of them maybe is its uh, sort of love of machines. The fact they are so happy to embrace these machines and have a relationship with them effectively instead of a human. It's easier when you're working fifteen hours a day. It's a lot easier to have a relationship with a robot dog than a relationship with a dog that shits everywhere and wants feeding and needs cuddling and all this kind of stuff. You know, you just turn it off when you don't want any attention. But I guess um, my question to you on this um, this issue was, uh, what sort of effect has it had on society? Like, have they caused job losses? How have those job losses been handled, et cetera, et cetera? You mean to do the robots cause job losses? In Japan specifically, you've, you've talked a couple of times about customer service and all these sorts of things. These are surely places where there were people a few years ago. Yeah, look, it's a good point. I mean... To be honest with you, when, when we talk about these kind of front-facing customer service-based robotics, they're essentially providing fairly basic tasks, you know, and there's always people there as well. I mean, there is, there's even a hotel you can stay at that's actually staffed by robots, but there are still people in the background. There are people that need to do some of the tasks. So they haven't replaced people, they've supplemented people. Yeah, and I think what they do is they... I think the more important, interesting role that robots, and I would prefer to use the term robotics, to be honest, play is actually behind the scenes. For example, in, um, you know, if you, I went to the pharmacy recently and they have a little device, robotic device, that is able to, behind the, um, the, where the, the chemist stands, there's a, there's a wall and behind there is all the drugs. And the robotic device is able to actually pick out your drugs after they, you know, put in the computer what you want, and they go, they slide down a chute and come out to the front. So they're they're doing some of those, you know, sorting, um, collecting, collating, blah blah blah, more uh, mundane jobs. Mm. And I think, and these are used in warehouses and factories. Yeah, big time in warehouses. I spoke to Invicta recently, a company in the states where. Um, we spoke quite at length about this issue of if we look at robotics replacing jobs of humans that were previously done by humans. And I think if you look at something like, say, an Amazon warehouse, I said to him, you know, is it taking the job of people? And he said the problem is, and there's been extensive, you know, research to back this up, 
there's a lack of people that are able to do these warehouse I'd jobs. like to revisit this topic later. I'd like to revisit this topic later. Let's come back to this. Let's just continue with the effect on human society again. Um, in, in this, well, actually, so is this, but I want to come back to this with a bit more historical context in a, in a minute. Let's come back to this kind of taking people's jobs things in a minute. Okay. Let's continue with the... The death and then we've done death. <laughs> Let's continue with the relationships. At the moment you have this picture right in front of us of the sex robots are coming with this very unrealistic, i.e. very realistic <laughs> and unrealistic in that that doesn't exist. The sex robots are coming with a very attractive woman in bed with a robot. Um, and, I mean, this comes back to what we're saying about relationships. Mm. Um, often the hardest bit about, well, what you want from a human relationship is company basically, to be honest with you. And the thing you like least about relationships with humans is disagreement. And a robot is probably not going to disagree with you and maybe give you company and fulfil some basic needs. So what's so wrong? You're asking me for an opinion? I'm, I'm posing a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, I was talking to the CEO of Mystery Vibe recently. Mystery Vibe's a a company that creates pleasure products or sex toys as we know them, connected sex toys that you can um, manipulate, so to speak, with a mobile phone. Um, Really interesting company, lovely person to speak to, absolutely fascinating, one of my favourite people to talk to about this kind of stuff. And um, he he believes that um, there will actually be sex robots within the, the next five years. Or by about 2020, they won't be sentient. They won't necessarily have a lot of AI capacities or anything like that. But the reason he thinks they'll, they'll come in is because a lot of the, um, the silicon manufacturing has got so much better so that you can now touch products where the, um, the surface feels like human skin. So you're basically saying these are more reactionary, um, realistic-feeling dolls, really? <laughs> yeah, they're not reacting. You know, they're not saying, "Hey, I want a sex robot that acts like um, a um, dominatrix," and they just do it. It's not uh, no, that kind of not level. Quite. Look, it's you can actually get. There is one sex robot that's available. Uh, if you go to China, there's a um, commercial robot store called 5S that has a chain around um, different parts of China, and I think there's about six stores. And basically this robot is ostensibly a powered sex doll. It just has limited capacities. It can say a few sentences. And, and this, is all, can, this has been in science fiction as well. Yeah. We saw in one of the seasons of uh, Black Mirror this, but that was much more intelligent. And look, well. um, you know, I mean, I think anyone could Google sex doll and come up with the images of the sex dolls. They, yeah. they look somewhat lifelike depending on your um, definition. They look like unrealistic people though. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. And look, there is actually a guy called um, Bradley Charvet who um, is planning to open a robot cafe in London where the robot's role will be to perform fellatio, um, what they call cyber fellatio on people while they're drinking their tea and coffee. I mean, I mean that, that just seems to me like, I mean, I don't really want to get too deep into this topic. No. But um, surely that would be cheaper to do it the old-fashioned way. Oh, you mean prostitution? Yeah, I don't know. That seems like a very expensive way of accomplishing the same yeah. result. I mean, look, his view is that, you know, they're programmable, they're malleable. Um, it's a novel, perhaps a novelty, um, and it being an extension of sex devices or pleasure products, however you want to call them, uh, which is quite interesting. And it's worth noting that um, there is actually a um, 
a movement against these robots called, let me just find the, the actual name. Whilst you're doing that, I find this interesting because, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of this issues around robots is they're coming to take our jobs, which we're moving towards yeah. in a minute in terms yeah. of a topic to discuss. Yeah. And if you're actually also talking about robots potentially taking away the business of one of the oldest industries in the world, this is also interesting. And in fact, in some respects, that's a, in some respects, it's a positive because again, you're removing a job that is insecure, unsafe, dangerous, hmm. but also um, it's a job that for some people is a least worst option. For some people, it's actually a more, there's certain prostitution where it's actually a different kind of decision as well. It's not a, uh, a deci- it's not a job you're forced into. It's actually a job you've decided to, to mm-hmm. get into. So it's not, it's not always uh, a negative job, but it's interesting that even one of the oldest, um, businesses in the world is potentially having this problem. And so another interesting sub, angle from this is uh, earlier in the week Kate and I were at the Porn Film Festival here in Berlin. A friend of ours uh, from Australia actually had um, a film of hers, uh, The Bedroom, as the opening film of the Berlin Porn Film Festival. And there was a, there's a workshop I think actually happening um, tomorrow Mm. about VR porn. And Mm. this again is a whole other topic, but but, um, one of the things on the poster said Will this save the porn industry? And I asked our friend, does the porn industry need saving? You know, in my mind, the porn industry and the gambling industry have been the two major, and military, three major (laughs) um, uh, proponents of technology generally. Um, So why does the porn industry need saving, I asked. And she said, because same problem that a lot of other industries have had, no one wants to pay anymore. Mm. And actually, I suppose VR and machines generally Mm. would be a way of... um, Recouping that lost revenue, I guess. Yeah, it's it's true. And um, an interesting thing is that um, there is actually the group I was referring to earlier. I'm trying to remember the name. It's called Campaign Against Sex Robots. And it, sounds um, very futuristic. It's it? it's a UK based organisation. I'll put a link on our website. And basically, what their their contention and look, I had read through their pages because I've been writing a few articles about them about this kind of topic and. Um, they're very confused. <laughs> a lot of what they say is quite quite blurry. But what I mean, really, ostensibly, their their view is that um, a meaningful sexual relationship has to have an experience of mutuality. Mutuality, I think that's the word. Um, and that if you're using robots, it causes an inequality of um, power relations, which is kind of interesting. And. If you take this a step further, an example I'd give you is the um, Love and Sex with Robots conference. Uh, it's an annual conference that was started a couple of years ago. Um, they tried to hold it last year in Malaysia, I think it was, yeah, Malaysia, in November last year, and it was actually banned by the um, head honcho of the police that it was in It's like a strange country to decide to have it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's in London this year. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, Slightly and, more liberal. Only slightly, I think, but, but anyway... When we talk about love and sex and robots, and I might say love and sex are quite different, as we all know. Um, what? One thing that I've heard people talking about at the moment um, in research, because I have a criminology background, is the idea of can we look at using robots to treat or to f- um, funnel sexual de- deviance? 
For example, the idea that um, people that are attracted to children and commit child sexual abuse, is it better if they have child robots? This is interesting because it's like it's it's not really solving the problem, is it? No, no. And and, and bear in mind, I'm not suggesting this is, you know, the way to go. Um, I think everyone has said at a very academic level, and bear in mind this is all purely academic stuff, um, that once you get into the AI sort of side of it, um, and they, and the robots become more lifelike, particularly as children, for example, um, is it going to make the problem worse? You mm. know, this is one of the concerns. It's actually, I mean, we didn't really, we should have talked about this earlier, maybe, um, when we come to the sort of uh, ethics of yeah. robotics. Yeah. The one big area that we're dealing with that's in the news on a fairly regular basis right now is, of course, one of the other robots amongst us right now which is self-driving vehicles mm, and mm. again this was in iRobot and um, it's been talked about quite a bit this uh, decision making between um, if a car is going to swerve and it hits an old lady or yeah. a child no it hits a group of people or a child yeah. which one do you go and a, different, humans will have different ethics yeah, around that yeah. so how do you program that do you like? Do you when you get in your driving your self driving car? Do you set? <laughs> I prefer like. Do you set your preference matrix? I prefer to run over old lots of children or, or it's, old it's, people. But or, it gets very yeah. um, it gets very difficult to yeah. make these judgment calls. And humans don't always get it right. But we can probably justify why we made a decision uh, in our own minds and have and back it up. Um, whereas a machine, as as we've said, is following instructions that were given to it. By a human. I might add, I've heard a different take on that, which yeah. is the um, what's known as the trolley problem, where you have a, um, a self-driving car that's presumably got a couple of people in it going down the road because it, they're getting a lift in it or what have you, and there's a trolley full of, or a tram as we call it, full of people. Um, should Who should be saved, you know? Should it be the trolley full of people or should it be the um, car with the people in it? And apparently... Um, most cars will lean towards, you know, saving self, as we kind of alluded to earlier in the Asimov um, first first rule or what have you, second rule I think it was. So, yeah, no one has solved this problem, I'm, I would hasten to add. It's not like everyone's got this great solution to this, you know. It's, um, it's a highly kind of difficult problem to, you know, to get your head around, even thinking about it. You just kind of shrug your shoulders and go, jeez, oh, that's big. Let's now move on to kind of one of the big issues. And I think ethics, uh, loss of human contact, all of these things are very interesting issues and actually quite important issues, but probably the one that bothers most people because it personally affects you hmm. is the, will I lose my job? Hmm. Hmm. Um, and this is an interesting one. This is one of those areas that, A, is not the first time we've... Uh, had this discussion when there's been a major shift in technology um, and B, sometimes we don't really know what's going to happen until it happens um, and how we accommodate these things. So I'm actually going, I'm looking backwards here, I'm trying to find a couple of examples of these sort of major technological advances and how they've affected society. And I guess the first place, an obvious place to start would be the Industrial Revolution. Uh, it's about 200 years ago. I'm finding it quite hard to find any hard and fast numbers about the effect that had on the employment rate. 
Um, I would say that apparently, according to statistics, and also bear in mind, of course, that um, statistics often have only really been started to even be monitored in the past 50, 60, 70 years, so mm. sometimes it's hard to make comparisons. Yeah, that's true. But people say that we have never been more employed. Yeah. Um, and so when machines became widespread, uh, dumb machines, but uh, in the Industrial Revolution, there was a fear from the Luddites and other movements that these machines would take away jobs. And actually, generally what happened was that these machines actually facilitated humans to do different jobs. Uh, and there was a lot of other effects. So some interesting articles here. I, I suggest you kind of Google like the effects of the Industrial Revolution on society, and there's probably yeah. books after books. We book can probably put a couple of links on the, down on the, too. on the subject. But uh, one of the things is like it was actually for the working class, it was pretty brutal. Long working hours, usually dark dangerous, hazardous conditions. Mm. Um, but from in the long run, it produced a new upper working middle class. Mm. It mm. produced an increase in income. It produced an increase in quality of life. It produced an increase in productivity, consumerism, capitalism, etc., etc. Whether you think all those things are a good thing, it depends on your viewpoint. But in the long run, it could be said that Industrial Revolution created positive outcomes. I say caveat there with depending on your perspective. But sure. looking at it sort of from an economical, um, societal perspective, I suppose. Then we could also think about computerization. Mm. Think about those images of all the typing pools generally mm. employing women mm. in the 1940s and 50s and before that. And when computers became more uh, widespread in the 1970s, again, there was this feeling that they would take away all these jobs. And they did take away those jobs, but they created some other jobs too. And again, we come back to this statistic, which may or may not be true, that we have never been more employed. Mm. We have a society now that is based around certain things happening and one of those is a lot of transportation and logistics and we've talked about self-driving cars and if they are widespread, they will take away a lot of those jobs. Robots will take away a lot of customer service jobs, we've already said. Mm. Uh, and we've seen it in science fiction, all these sorts of things. So actually, forget robots coming to kill us all. Probably the most likely outcome is they will take away a lot of jobs. I'm not going to say they're going to take away our jobs because that implies there'll be nothing to replace them. We don't know yet. Other jobs may come to replace them. Like we were discussing this earlier and you said to me that if there was to be a widespread rollout of self-driving cars, which is going to take a while yet, but if there was to be, to optimise it, roads would have to change. So there will be a period of high employment whilst those changes are made. There would be people who needed to maintain those systems and monitor those systems and all these sorts of things. So that's a job shift, not a job removal. Whether the new jobs created equal the jobs taken away is hard to say. Uh, and, you know, one of the other examples that has happened recently is there's been a sort of change and a shift from these big monolithic companies that you work for and, say, one company that employs 10,000 people, maybe now you have uh, a 1,000 companies that employ 10 people. And it's not that the jobs have been lost, but the jobs have shifted. Mm -hmm. so, but it's really hard to say, of course, until it happens. 
but this is probably the most realistic outcome of robots. And, uh, yeah, I think you've got some things you want to add to the discussion. Sure. I mean, it's it's funny. Like I mentioned earlier, talking to the CEO at Invicta, a uh, company that makes robotic solutions for warehouses and factories and those sort of spaces. And I asked him at length about the issue of robotics in warehouses because what their uh, robots do, they have a couple of different different ones, um, is basically they will be able to... Um, they're used in, like, let's just use Amazon as an example to make it easy. So someone orders, you know, four different products... You know, I want five pairs of shoes, I want this and that. The robot is able to go and collect those items. Um, and what is interesting about their products in particular is the level of, I guess, what I would call fine motor skills in being able to pick up very small, finicky products like screws and, you know, little things that before you wouldn't think a robot could pick up. So the robot can pick them up and take them to the packing station and another robot will pack them. So you can imagine the amount of time it saves and also the amount of um, labour. And it's interesting because, you know, is this taking a job? And when I spoke to... um, I'll just check his name so I can use a name. I don't want to, you know, feels rude not using a name. Um, Leo, that's his name, Leo, about this. He said the problem is, firstly, when you think of somewhere like an Amazon warehouse, these are massive, massive buildings. Therefore, they can't be in most mainstream cities, so they have to be further out. So it may be a two-hour commute for a worker because it's not, there's nothing else around there except the, you know, the factory. That's your first issue. Secondly, the work is often seasonal because that's when it's in demand, for example, Christmas time and things like that. And he said the bigger problem, particularly in America, is they can't get the workers because people don't want to work those kind of hours and shifts because it's brutal work. You're on your feet, you're rushing, etc., etc. And you may have read the um, the article um, that came out a few years ago, The Life and Death of an Amazon Warehouse Temp, which I've linked to in an article and I'll put down for you as well. Quite a, a gruelling story about the experience of someone doing one of these really shitty warehouse jobs where they were on the on the clock and had to do a certain number of, um, you know, picks and packs per day to be able to move forward. And this was someone who was a temp who wanted to go permanent um, so they could get benefits and all that sort of stuff that you would like to get in any job. And, you know, this stuff is very, very difficult to do as a job sustainably because you can't sustain people's welfare and health doing these kind of jobs long term. So therefore the the robot is is a role. And, you know, if I look at another example of using a robot in something like, say, let's say a, a market, a farmer's market or a shoe shop or something where the robot can be out the back getting the shoe boxes when you want a size six instead of a size four or whatever it is, rather than the person out there um, every time has to keep going back and getting, you know, getting the box. So saving some of that labour, but also giving the people those front-facing jobs, you know, the customer service jobs, rather than the grunt labour. So it's, it's, you know, it's another perspective. But you know what? When I think about what's taking human jobs, and, you know, I'm not saying all jobs or anything like that, I'd be more worried about AI because... Well, actually, this is... I was just about to think yeah. that the, um, the argument often is that machines do this grunt work hmm. and the humans are the editors. The humans yeah. are the curators. Yeah. But actually, a lot of curating and editing these days... It's done by algorithms. That's right. So, <laughs> like for example, there's um, 
We now have AI programs and functions to do very complex legal research. Mm. You know, when you when you watch a movie and they have to find some, you know, legal rule or example or case of case law or what have you, and it takes, you know, these people doing these all-night shifts within libraries, they have machines that do that now. You've got machines that are able to do medical diagnoses for very rare cases, and a lot of the, a lot of that stuff at the moment is being tested to see if it um, compl- can, you know, it, it matches what the physicians and the surgeons are recommending, and it has been. But I even saw a story last week that um, a particular news company, I can't quite remember which one, is using robots or is, is starting to use robots to um, write their sports news. Yeah. I've... Scary. Now, <laughs> Taking we, my job. <laughs> we, we have, we have um, we've gone on far longer than I was expecting, so I'd like to move on to the final topic and okay. our wrap-ups. I don't think we're going to reach any concrete conclusions in this, but it's been very interesting. Mm. The one thing I'd like to finish with is that a lot of the uh, supporters of robots taking jobs has been um, that uh, the people doing these jobs, the um, income that they were getting from doing these jobs that will be um, supplanted by robots could be replaced with a form of a universal income. Oh, Yes. And this is an interesting concept. As a person who generally considers myself fairly creative but actually kind of hates working for somebody, the concept (laughs) of universal income is actually quite appealing, but it doesn't appeal to everybody. Mm. And there's been some interesting um, thoughts on this. So the basic concept is you, uh, from the efficiency savings happening uh, from machines, unpaid labour, doing the job of Mm. paid labour, the savings get reinvested into a sort of combination and consolidation of social welfare, social payments into a universal social security payment that covers kind of everything. There have been some experimentations in this, um, but there's a couple of of issues. The the one criticism is often that the replacement um, universal income is for a lot of people, not everybody, but for a lot of people, is, not, is, is lower than mm, what they were getting before. Just, yeah, true. But then, of course, there's this whole knock-on effect, and again, it's one of those such big schisms that sometimes we don't really know how it's going to work out until it happens, mm. in that will the knock-on effect of the savings of labour make things cheaper, so maybe we need less money? You know, there's this whole issue with capitalism being this kind of self-fulfilling machine, oh, yes. and if the fundamentals of capitalism change because we're no longer pumping in the human resource maybe we won't need as much money as we needed before. I don't know. So, it's, But it's really hard to model all this kind of stuff because it's such a big change. But um, so there have actually been some experiments on this. Um, there have been, there's been a referendum in Switzerland mm-hmm. on this issue. There are, this is actually from um, a day ago. Uh, Ontario is piloting a project right now. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. I think there have been some... Other places that I'm trying to find now. We'll get some links. Yeah, we'll put uh, some in links the, up in the post about this. There have been some mm. other experiments in um, trying this. Yeah, I don't some, know much about Some it. suggest that it would work better in developing countries okay. than rich countries. Interesting. But one of the, I suppose, one of the other comments has always been that think of all the time these people were mm. these people who were doing horrible, grueling jobs that have now been. Um, given to machines mm. and you've got this universal income, mm. you can now go and become an artist and do creative projects and things like that. Yeah. And one of the problems that has come out of some of the trials has been that actually no one really did anything. 
this you could be in your own startup. This this great kind of leap forward, cultural leap forward that was going to happen because people had this time to sit around and think. Right. Didn't really happen. Really? But then... Um, ah. So I'm actually reading this from Wikipedia. I'll put a link here. Okay. So there's a belief among critics that if they have free and unconditional money, they will not work and get lazy. Um, but one of the... One of the concerns has been that because, of course, most of these have been trial periods, yeah. most people haven't embarked on their great artistic endeavour because they're like, well, I'm only doing it for six months, so what's the point? Oh, so the they've same. not been... I think one of the things has been there's not been a very fair test case mm. because it's like, hey, you know that thing we said when you were younger, like you're going to have to work for your entire life and dedicate your life to a job that you may not really enjoy just so you can do X, Y and Z? No, you don't have to. That's such a shift in thought that I can't imagine that people in the midst of a trial period like this are going to go, holy shit, you're right. I will change my complete outlook because it's such a big change to lifestyle that, yeah, it would take some time to get used to. So again, it's one of those things that we don't really know how it's going to turn out until it happens on a larger scale. Um, And then one of the other criticisms has been that the consolidation of all these social security things actually ends up costing more because you're paying people more than... Oh, yeah. The economic argument mm. is also... Uh, but again, it's because it's a trial period. Okay. If an entire country just decided to do it, then it would figure things out. But by just testing small segments and things like that, it's not... Yeah, it's very hard to test something called universal on a select small group for a trial uh, period, you know. I think a, it would be hard to get everyone to be, um, to adopt it too. Like, you know, if are we talking about people, you know, dual income households where one person does it or both or, you know, is there an age um, beginning and cutoff? Like, there's so many issues about these kinds of things. And, um, like, if I look at, if I think about... Labor that could be replaced by robotics. I think of household labor, or you know, with some much of which, which statistically is probably done by women in the house. There actually you was know? a comment up here about um, feminism. Yeah, I'm trying to find it now, but uh, because yeah, your feminist views. Yeah, although the feminist views tend to be one side on one, considering it gives independence to women. Um, but then others saying that it would have the potential to discourage women from participating in mm. a society and workforce as well because you would just fall back to traditional gender roles. Okay. So, again, everyone has fairly divided opinions yeah, on that. Uh, look, to be honest, I don't know much about this at all. It's, you know, I've only very, very minorly looked at it. But, look, we, we would actually value some opinions on this stuff too. Definitely. This is a very interesting topic. I'd like to wrap it up yeah. now. Yeah. I personally, as a person who believes that Change can, in the long run, encourage positive outcomes. And a person who considers themselves fairly inventive and um, resourceful when faced with a challenge, I I say, as long as they're not gun-toting, I semi-welcome our robot overlords (laughs) because they could create some very interesting societal changes. Um, But I am saying that from a position of... Privilege, so I've got to be careful there. What do you say, Kate? Do you welcome our robot overlords or not? Not just the cute ones. I do, with some um, conditions. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, look, you know, people know I'm a robot fan, so I have to say it. I have to say that. 
Okay, that was short. <laughs> yeah, look, it's all, of, no, it's, look it's, it's all of what to say, really. Okay, um, okay. All right, well, uh, just in our very quick wrap-up of what else we've been up to in the period, mm. and then we'll leave it there because this has been a very interesting topic, but I think we could go on forever. Um, True. So I have, again, been um, working more the past few weeks, so I haven't written as much, but here's a few things I've written. I live-blogged the Apple event from the past couple of days, um, and as a 20-year Mac user... I'm a little unsure about things. I am actually considering a switch to Windows or Linux right now. Ooh, big words. So we'll see. Um, in related things, I got this awesome little um, Lenovo yoga book, Ooh. tablet, graphics tablet. Why has it got the term yoga in it? Because that's just the brand I use because it's flexible. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, and I did a hands-on review with that. Okay. Uh, I was also at the Essen Spielermesser, uh, and I haven't quite written back all the uh, ideas I had from demoing my game there for four days, but that was quite a big event and quite exhausting. I was also Ooh. in Kosovo in Pristina, which was interesting, and I haven't really considered doing a blog post about it, but I do have um, a previous blog post about startups in Kosovo. Yeah, interesting. I also wrote um, a guide to the medium exporter that I recently worked on and how you can help me make it better. Um, and... And I also upgraded my Docker hosting article, okay. which was very, very popular. In fact, if you type in Docker hosting, that article comes up. Oh. So I had to update it a bit. Kate, what have you been up to? Um, this and that, I suppose. I've been work- Some of you probably know I work with a company in um, Hong Kong called Nextpack, who are creating modular um, phone cases and things like that. And they're preparing for a fairly interesting event in Silicon Valley, so doing some help, helping out there a little bit um, with some, you know, just some writings. I've also been doing a lot of writing articles, wrote some work on Mars, which was quite interesting. Um, Dan McCoskey, who some of you might know, he used to work at Google, and when they were doing their own version of this modular phone case <laughs> um, called Project Ara, uh, no longer in existence, he actually visited the factory where they're making the modules, so... I interviewed him a couple of times. Um, what else? I've been writing about drones and some of the in- issue of insuring drones. This, this, this uh, heading I really dislike. Oh, mole was- drones, mole problems. <laughs> yeah, just to, um, a general knowledge kind of thing for you guys. When you see a really kind of dick heading, you know we don't write our own headings, don't you? Because we, my my editors love a, a heading that's got a bit of a pun. And so they've always got a pun. Like I wrote, I wrote about um, the use of Hololens by um, Thyssen Krupp, which is a elevator company in here in Germany. And it says going down, <laughs> bringing out elevator servicing. <laughs> what else have you been writing, Kate? We better wrap yeah. up. Yeah, look, yeah, I've been writing about Hololens. I've been writing about the drone insurance. Um, writing, about, I've been writing a, a bit about um, the idea of modular body parts, for example. If you have a prosthetic, could you have other? Could it have other functionalities? Um, for example, a smart prosthetic that um, perhaps has a weapon in it, or some other bits and pieces. Um, and you know, I think if you, if you read the article, you'll you'll understand the context. And that is readwrite.com/author/slash/kate with a C dash Lawrence with a W. And these ones were for Nextpack, nextpack.com slash blog. Um, I'll pop a few links down so you can look we'll at your um, convenience. On that note, so uh, a couple of promotion things for the podcast and the like. We sure. now have gregarismammal.com slash 
podcast, uh, you can find all these notes and links to listen to each podcast episode prior to us co-hosting and also the co-hosting episodes. Um, if you want to meet me, I don't know, actually you can meet us at this particular event, but um, this is just the same website, gregarismammal.com slash connect. We are both at Web Summit in Lisbon in November, for the second week of November. Um, so come and say hello. And Are we we'll going to do a podcast there? there? We will probably interview people. I don't yeah. know whether we'll live podcast from there, but we'll yeah. uh, definitely do interviews. Great. Now, the one last thing I'm going to mention in wrap-up, if you have been enjoying this podcast, then please rate us on iTunes. Um, I'm actually going to update the iTunes page because Great. it's still a bit geared towards when it was just me and I need to change that a little bit. That's all right. Um, but rate the podcast, say some nice things. Um, we are actually paying, I'm going to be honest here, it's not a lot, but everything helps. We are paying nine euros a month for hosting the podcast on SoundCloud and then, of course, all the time we put in. So if you feel like supporting, you can also go to com slash support and see a variety of ways you can support our activities if you like what we do. So all those things are appreciated. But from now until next time... Enjoy the rest of your day or evening, as it may be. I'm just going to say enjoy the rest of your month because that seems to be our uh, <laughs> interval. So the monthly months. I'm not entirely sure what we're going to call that. But I enjoy. I hope you enjoyed the episode and we'd love if you interacted with us on the website or yeah. on Twitter or et cetera, et cetera. That will be fun. Uh, with some of your ideas because it's a fascinating discussion. And thanks very much, Kate. I really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you, Chris.